You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking to our learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many questions as I can. Or you can go to our amazing webpage at Let's Talk Torah.net. That's Let's Talk Torah.net. And you can find the archives, the new shows, leave comments, leave questions, email straight to me. And, of course, the all-important donate button, that very important donate button that if we have four different levels, if those levels work for you, you want a shout-out, you want a happy birthday, you want a, everybody seems to like anonymous. But whatever works for you, of course, we appreciate, we are happy, and we do thank you in advance. I saw a story. There's a man had a hard day at work. The car broke down, got a flat tire, uh, his saw stopped working. Just everything that could go wrong was going wrong, and he needed his boss to drive him home, and his car had been towed. So the boss drives him home, and uh, he invites the boss, and he, he, as he's walking to the house, he, he puts his hands on a tree branch. Puts out your wrench, goes into the home. As soon as he walks into the house, big smile. How is everyone? How is your day? How was school? What's happening with this? Wow, supper smells so good. Uh, yeah, a few miles with the car. So the boss, uh, the boss drove me home. I'm just gonna walk him back out to the car. And they walk back out to the car, and the boss says, "You know, that's great, Joe." What happens? You, you touch this tree and you're like in a good mood. Like, what's going on? So the 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 worker tells the boss, "I'll tell you the truth. You know, things happen. We all have situations. We all have troubles. We all have tribulations. And the way I do it is, every day when I come home, I take all my troubles and I put them on the tree. And then the next morning when I wake up, I go back to the tree to take my troubles back." And, you know, it, it just doesn't seem to be so... There doesn't seem to be as many troubles on the tree that I thought I left there the night before, which is like, whoa. That is just such a great attitude. If we could all go ahead and and just sort of put our troubles on the side, put, you know, the bad mood, the things that happened during the day, the things that happened when the night before... <laughs> If we could sort of just move all our troubles off to the side and come back and look at them later, I think a lot of times we'll figure out they're just not as bad as we make them out to be. So we talked in the last show, it's Parashas Truma, we talked in the last show a lot, a lot about donations, a lot about charity. Uh, we're going to try to focus a little more on on the things that were necessary, that were used for the actual Mishkan. We're going to talk about some of the vessels. 
Um, but first, I want to talk about the stones. What stones? I'll tell you which stones. Um, in the order of collection, you have gold, silver, copper. It sounds like you're going from the most expensive down the line to the least expensive. You have the the wool and the and the linen and the goat's hair and the wood and the oil and the spices. And at the end of the list, at the end of the list, all of a sudden, all we have is these two sets of stones. The Kohen Gadol, the high priest, had what was called Shoham stones. Those went like on the shoulder blades. And then they had the breastplate that had 12 precious stones. And you would think that those precious stones are, are quite expensive. More so, if somebody can donate those stones, that's the top of the list. You can't, you can't, okay, money, we, this will give a thousand, this will give 500, this will give a hundred. But those precious stones, the, the, the Talmud says they needed one of those stones. That famous story we've told in the past, told about honoring a parent. So they knew that a certain merchant had the stone. So they went to the stone, and the son, his name was uh, Dama Benesina, um, said, I'm sorry, my father is sleeping on the key. So we're offering you like 800,000 coins, gold, silver, whatever, um, for that stone. Son said, I'm very sorry, but uh, my father's sleeping, and I don't wake him up for business. Okay, he says the next year they came back and he had a red cow and they paid him again the either six hundred thousand or eight hundred thousand. Um, that's a story for another day. We've talked about it in the past. These are very, very precious stones. So if you could be the guy or the girl who could donate these stones, you would think that's the top of the list. That's the most expensive thing. And it's at the very, it's at the tail end of the list. Why is that? So I, I saw a very beautiful answer. The Jewish people, where they get all this gold and silver from? Where they get all this stuff? So we've talked when they left Egypt, they borrow the gold and silver and the stuff from their neighbors. But what was it really for? It was really a payment for all those years of slavery. You, you kidnapped me, basically. You turned me into a slave. And, and this was sort of the payment for those years of slavery. There's, uh, Talmud talks about the great Alexander, or Alexander the Great. Uh, the Talmud talks about how he made like a world court, and he was going to fix all the world's problems. Maybe he thought it was like the UN, which does a terrible job at fixing the world's problems. I don't think they fix anything. They do escalate. They do make things worse. Just look what's going on in Israel over here. But, okay, that's probably for another day to stand on my uh, soapbox. I just read they like have a, they have a special organization to, to, um, to I, I guess, look at the world's problems. And they always, always have a problem with Israel. Always. Like... Now it's like on the agenda. Okay, what's with Israel? The rest of the world, okay. I mean, there's a lot of problems in the world. And somehow um, Israel seems to be the top of their list. So uh, the UN is certainly not one of my 
um, favorite organizations. I'm not sure their purpose, unless their purpose is to, you know, start up with Israel. In that case, they do a very good job. In any case, so Alexander the Great says, anybody who has problems, come. So the Egyptians came and they said, oh, those Jews, they borrowed our money and they took it. They never gave it back. So Alexander said to the Jewish representative, uh, okay, what's the answer? He said, give me three days, comes back. He says, you know, I, I looked at a Torah, the same one that they're using to say we borrowed money. And um, it says there that they, they tricked us into being slaves for 400 years. So 600,000 slaves for 400 years, that's a lot of money. I can't imagine that they paid the full debt. So I'm actually here to collect what's owed. So the Egyptians say, give us three days, and of course they never came back. Right? So, so we earned, we earned all the money we took out. So every single Jewish family, everybody who went out, clearly earned everything that he, that he worked for, everything that he took on the way out of Egypt, he earned it. That's, that's clear. There's no question about that. Except for one thing. The one thing that was not earned when they, when they, um, well, they left Egypt was these stones. How do you know? Because these stones um, either came in the mana and that heavenly food. Others say it really depends how you read a, um, how you read a, um, a certain verse or the clouds brought them in. That means there was no work done for these precious stones. So if somebody's giving silver, somebody's giving copper, somebody's giving wool, or somebody's giving linens, or whatever you're donating, it's stuff that was yours, and you gave it. So if you work and you give something, there's value. There's value in giving your stuff. But there's no value in giving something that you got for free. Since there's no value in giving something that you got for free, it's at the end of the list. Now, it doesn't matter. I worked hard. I earned this $50. I gave this $50 to charity. That was my time. That was work that I did. I'm giving to you. Something that fell out of the sky, and I worked for it. If I didn't work for it, then uh, why should I get credit for it? Which also tells you that God loves the hard work you put in for whatever you're doing. As they say, easy street may be paved with gold, but it's life's difficulties and struggles where a person grows. That uh, God loves that you took your hard work and you gave it to a poor person. Right? And, was, and anytime you think about it all the time, right? I worked. Right? I was sitting by my desk. I put in two hours of work. That's worth, I don't know, $200, whatever number you want to make up. And then I turn around and I take $200 and I give it to a poor person. So those two hours of hard work, I just gave to somebody else. That has value. And that perhaps is lesson number one of the things that were collected in the vessels we're going to talk about. This becomes a beautiful lesson that my hard work is what has value. My time is what has value, not the stuff I got for free. Yeah, just an interesting, probably off topic, but um, an interesting story I saw. It's an old story um, about charity, but on the opposite extreme. I keep trying to tell you, uh, we said in the last show, we're saying it again in this show, God has to take care. 
It's God's job. Are you going to be the one that gives the charity? Or is somebody else going to be the one who gives the charity? God's going to take care of that poor person. God's going to take care of that organization. The question is, are you going to merit? And I think about that. I Today was one of those days. I mean, that's the life of a fundraiser. You have some days where you make a few phone calls and you do fantastic. Some days you make phone calls and you don't do so fantastic. Today was one of those days I didn't do so fantastic. You know, I made a few phone calls and, and you know, you work with new donors and you've been working with somebody, building a relationship with somebody, and they're not ready to give yet. No problem. You're not ready to give. I'm, I'm fine. But it doesn't help the organization. I got to do what I got to do, and God has to take care of the rest. Anyways, there was a guy in, in, in uh, probably B'nai Brock, his name was Ribiankel Kleffeltz. He studied day and night. He was a tremendous Talmudic scholar, but he needed money to marry his daughter. So he went to a man by the name of the Chazanish. He was one of the great rabbis. I think he passed away in the 50s, 1950s. Um, and he wanted to ask this great rabbi, should he go to America to try to raise funds? It's a very common thing that people come from Israel will come to America, and they'll raise the funds for a wedding, for medical needs. It's very common. And people give. People are very giving. Maybe they can't give a lot, but if you go to enough people, you go to a synagogue in the morning, in the afternoon, and, and you run into hundreds of people, you could raise money you know, over a couple weeks. So he asked somebody by the name of Chaim Brin to accompany him. And Chaim Brin, you know, made some phone calls. The Chazanish wasn't feeling well, but he said when you go to Mincha, when he goes to the afternoon prayers, um, on his way in, you can ask him for help. That much you can do. So he, uh, on the way, he, on the way to the Chazanish, on his way for the afternoon prayers, and he says to him, "Can I go collect money? Can I go to America and collect?" So he, the Chazanish says, whose idea is this? So this Yankel Kraffold said, it's, it's my idea. He says, okay, go to America and be successful. He goes to America, and he makes his way to Williamsburg, to the Satma Beis Vendrish. And he parks himself, opens up a Talmud, and he starts studying. Right, maybe he's supposed to be collecting. He's just studying. Then he notices the Satma Rebbe, and he asks some people there, can I talk to the Rebbe in learning? And he, every day he went to him, and he must have spent some time talking to him in learning. After two weeks of studying all day long in this study hall and talking every day to the Satma Rebbe, and he hasn't done any collecting yet, the Satma Rebbe says, you know, I, I enjoy talking to you in learning, but what are you doing here? Like, you live in Israel. So he said, uh, I, I'm here to collect money for my daughter's wedding. Oh. So the Sam Rebbe says, let me call a meeting. Now, I see you're a Talmudic scholar. Let me call a meeting of some wealthy um, congregants, and I'm going to ask them for help for you. Comes back two days later. He gives him an envelope. He says, I don't know. I was never so successful in one of these meetings. And it turned out there was enough money in the envelope, not only for one daughter's wedding, but actually for two daughters' weddings. But why didn't he go collect? So 
so um, we're missing part of the story. After he had gone to the Chazanish, before he went to America, he went to the Chabina Rav. And the Chabina Rav said to him, when you spoke to the Chazanish, what were the exact words he said? He told him the exact words. He said, okay, the Chazanish said you can go to America. He didn't say you can go to America and collect. So you go to America, find the study hall, learn, and see what God does for you. Right? And that, that really is supposed to be the attitude when we go collect. Right? We, we got to know it's all God. We got to really know, yes, we want people to help us. Yes, God wants people to help us. God set up the world. There's wealthy people. Their job is to give. There's people who run organizations. Their job is to collect. But we still got to remember that at the end of the day, it's all God. It's all God taking care of the whole thing. If we don't remember that, we just lose out on the whole picture. Because it's all coming from God. Okay. As our time is flying by, I wanted to talk about some of the vessels. So, of course, one of the most famous vessels is the menorah. Menorah is the candelabra, um, like one central branch, six branches coming out. Um, it has to be made of a kikar, which is like a loaf, a loaf of gold. It's the equivalent of 3,000 gold coins. And there was tremendous difficulty. I was speaking to a friend today. One of the difficulties was it seems there's not enough gold from these 3,000 coins to actually construct the menorah the way it's described. So my friend said this to me. I said, yeah, I know. Part of the problem is that the it would really only work if you made a hollow, like, tubes for the stems. The problem is, the, the way you had to do the construction was you couldn't, you couldn't form um, tubes of gold and then start connecting them. You had to build it with a hammer from one piece, and, and that's problematic because it doesn't seem to work. Now, I happen to have mentioned to my friend that it says Solomon made 10. Solomon made, made, made 10 menorahs, and they ask how he was able to make 10. Moses had difficulty making one. And the answer was once Moses, once it's brought down to this world, the truth is Moses couldn't make it. So he finally went back to God. He said, I can't do it. God said, throw it into the fire, and I'll make it for you. Right? But, but Moses couldn't make it. Um, but Solomon could. So again, once it's been done once, now it's not such a big deal. It is interesting. On the Arch of Titus, um, there is a, a one of the carvings is the menorah that was captured. And it's interesting because the, the, the branches are curved. While some rabbis say the branch is supposed to be straight. So my friend said perhaps Moses's was straight and Solomon's was curved. And that's the one they took. I said, I mean, it could be. It's possible. Or it could be just, you know, they wanted to make a picture on their arch, and that's just the way it worked out. Like, they made it that way. I don't know why. It's just what happened. So the menorah is fire. The menorah is light. And the menorah represents wisdom. It actually says if a person wants to be wise, he should, instead of being due east towards the temple, he should also angle 
towards the south because that's where the menorah was. If he wants wealth, he he faced a little bit where the table was, where the showbread was. It's a little bit more towards the north. Um, but the menorah represents wisdom, but really the menorah represents Torah, which is interesting because the ark also represents Torah. You have the, I guess, the ark with the... Oh, man, the music is already playing. That is unbelievable. I hope you enjoy it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, for all wonderful sponsors and listeners. I can't do it without you. Thank you for the production team. We have Alan and Cisco in the back today. And we have left us in food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we can build